to be a successful performer, you actually did have to diversify your income. And I just didn't make that connection. So there was always this part of me that was thinking that because I wasn't internationally famous, that I somehow was less than or wasn't having a successful or profitable career. Welcome to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast with Bree Noble. Bree is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Bree's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Bree is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. Hey, this is Bree Noble, and I want to welcome you to the Female Entrepreneur Musician, where we talk about making great music, connecting with your audience, and growing your business. If you've been listening to the show, you know that I've had kind of this series called Embracing the New Music Economy, and I've been bringing on people that have really been embracing the new music economy, uh, being able to give you some tips on how to do that in their specific area. And then I've been doing some episodes really trying to help you with mindset. So now that you have these tips and strategies, you can actually execute them and push back any fear and resistance that might be keeping you from following the advice. And this episode is going to be a great addition to this series because I'm talking to my friend Fiona Flight about multiple streams of income and how we can embrace that idea as musicians and not feel apologetic for having multiple streams, but realize that that is a real boon, especially right now, to be able to have multiple streams and to know that, you know, if one stream goes down, you've got those other ones to stabilize you. She's also going to talk about how she used content marketing and YouTube to really bring people into her world. So I can't wait to have her tell you guys all about how she does that. But before we get into that, I want to make sure you guys know, speaking of streams of income, about our new resource. It is the 15 streams of income to tap right now for recurring income from music. And if you, you know, we've had thousands of people already grab this. This is kind of the updated version to our previous resource, the 19 sources of income you probably haven't considered for your music career. And this one is really centered on all the things that you can incorporate right now, especially during these interesting times with the pandemic. So go ahead and grab that. That is over at our website at femmusician.com. That's F as in female, E as in entrepreneur, musician.com. It's right there on the front page. Now let's get into my interview with Fiona Flight. All right. I am here with my friend Fiona Flight, and I am so excited to have her on the show. I have We've come into each other's worlds a little bit over the past year, and also my uh, friend Tara, who is my booking coach in the academy, she said, you got to talk to Fiona. So I have her on the show today to talk about a few different things. We're going to be talking about income streams, which I know we've been focusing a lot on the show about because of especially this time where I think we all need to really look at different income streams that we can add. And also she's going to give some insight on YouTube and how we can use that to our benefit to help us increase these income streams and also just in general to help us increase our 
visibility as a musician. So before we get into all that, um, Fiona, I'd love to have you tell everybody, give them a little bit of background on your, you know, how you got into music. And also, I'd love to have you tell them how you came into my world too, which is kind of interesting. Absolutely. My pleasure. And thank you for having me. You're welcome. So I got into music kind of late. I started, I started taking singing lessons when I was about 13, but, and I kind of knew that I wanted to be a singer ever since I was six and I first started seeing musicals, but that was a secret desire. Hmm. And so I didn't share that with anyone, even though I was getting to have these kind of community um, singing lessons with you know, not, not any that kind of high pressure or high profile thing. And then when I got to college, I joined the Glee Club and a teacher came in who was looking for students and just sort of made an announcement to the, to the Glee Club and said, you know, I'm, I'm a teacher. And I signed up with her. And in one of the early lessons, she was hearing me sing and she said, you have a voice that could sing opera. Mm. <laughs> and it's, it, it was so, you know, I, I don't know, it felt very like such an honor that I had this voice that could sing opera. So I didn't even know what that meant. But at that point, I started studying opera. That's awesome. <laughs> and what, what I loved you did was the way that the sound felt in my mm. physical body. It was like just that expression of energy as sound. I just, I fell in love with that. And so then I studied opera and I sang opera for quite a long time, but never gave up my love of musical theater. Mm. Did you, did you go to college for opera? So I was, by the point that I realized I actually wanted to make opera my career, I was already like more than halfway through my liberal arts degree. And it just didn't make sense, particularly at the college that I was at to switch majors. So I was studying all of this music stuff on the side because although I had taken piano lessons, I was no expert musician. I was just loving the singing part and opera is as you know is you can imagine very complex in terms of music languages acting singing it's there was a lot 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 to learn so once i graduated i then went on and did a master's degree in vocal performance but my undergrad i just finished it out in the liberal arts awesome what colleges did you go to so the undergrad was UC Berkeley, and then I stayed in that area and went to the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. Oh, gosh. I have a friend from college who went on to San Francisco Conservatory for his master's. Such a great school. I actually watched him in, in a show. It was probably like the mid-90s, but it was awesome. I loved it. I really loved it. Cool. So, so then did you think you were going to go into opera? Like that was going to be your thing. I, I don't know if you know, I worked at an opera company. I was actually the director of finance. No, at an which opera one? Um, it is called Opera Pacific. It was in Orange County. It was like stuck between LA Opera and San Diego. And yes. so it was a little bit of a struggle. We were like a top 15 company, but we struggled because we were stuck between these two like juggernaut companies. Wow. <laughs> No, I didn't know that. And yes, I was absolutely convinced that I was going to have a 
international opera career. Mm. And I was doing everything that I thought I thought I was supposed to do to make that happen, including pay to sings. You know, plenty of times I paid to sing. And and I got the degree and I auditioned for competitions and I, you know, traveled the country auditioning for competitions and young artist programs. And eventually I did get into a young artist program, actually a resident artist program. So I spent several years doing that. So where was and that? Along the way, I also started teaching. And one of the things that was so frustrating for me as a younger artist was not understanding that it didn't make me less of a performing artist, less of an opera singer, that I still made the majority of my income as a voice teacher. Mm. And that is a, it's just, it's just heartbreaking for me to see this same sort of limiting belief in other younger singers. Mm. Wow, that's really interesting. So first of all, where, where were you a, a resident artist at what? I was a resident artist in Florida with the central, oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> gosh, it wasn't that long ago. A central Florida lyric opera. There we go. Okay. I was like, I had to right. think of the initials at CFLO. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And I was there for a couple of years. I got to do some great roles there. Rosina and in Barbara of Seville and... Susanna in Marriage of Figaro. Um, and I also ran a voice studio and I also was a featured soloist at the Universal Portofino Bay Hotel attached to the whole Universal complex. And I, I did all of these concerts at the upscale retirement communities, which was fantastic money. Mm. And it was this sort of lack of understanding in my head that in order to be a successful performer, you actually did have to diversify your income. And I just didn't make that connection. So there was always this part of me that was thinking that because I wasn't internationally famous, just singing opera, that I somehow was less than or wasn't having a successful or profitable career. And that, that just wasn't true. I was having a successful career. It was only in my head that that, that wasn't the case. Mm, yeah, I love that you recognize that because I can tell you from working at an opera company where we did have a resident artist program, all those people were doing other things. You know, you cannot survive on the salary that I was paying them as director of finance only. <laughs> you know, they did have to be doing other things. And and they were good at it. I mean, why wouldn't they want to to help other people by having a voice studio or performing in other places where they could make really good money? So I'm glad that you, but I get that though. There's kind of this stigma, like I'm not successful unless I'm all in on this one thing. Yeah. And it's imp literally impossible. Like you were just saying, I mean, even I always tell my clients now that if you think of the people, the celebrities at the highest level of performing like Beyonce or Jennifer Lopez, they're not making all of their money from performing. They're just not like that would be unwise. They would be leaving so much money on the table if that was their choice. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. Um, and if you, if you were able to like look at their bank account or their finances, you would see that they're super diversified. Exactly. Yeah, totally true. So um, 
So I would love to hear, like, where did you go from there? So you were, you were at Central Florida and you were a resident artist. And then, like, are you doing opera now or have you completely switched the style of music you're doing? So I moved to Los Angeles. I started a family. Los Angeles is where I'm from originally and where my family was still living. And I did perform here locally and I had performed, you know, in different cities and countries prior to moving back to LA. And throughout, I never gave up my love of musical theater. So I was always doing sort of the legit soprano roles in different places. And most recently, I did a tour to Alaska singing the Mother Avis in The Sound of Music. And that was just oh, wow. last year. Wow, that's awesome. So in no way have I given up my singing, but I have started to understand, no, I haven't started. I now understand that the singing, the performing is not the only thing that it, it is unwise. <laughs> I used the word unwise before. It would not be wise of me to only be performing and, you know, come close to living the lifestyle that I would like for myself and my family. So I have absolutely diversified. And rather than continuing my voice studio, which I had for, I, I think, 20 years or so, I'm now a business coach for performers because I want to fill this gap in everyone's education around what it takes to become profitable. It's just become such a massive passion for me. And one of the things that I did was start a YouTube channel. Now, when I was thinking of my YouTube channel, I really wanted this, I really wanted to walk my talk, which was that you can be diversified and still performing. So I built into my YouTube channel myself as both performer and coach. And I try to do an mm. equal number of videos, music videos of myself singing and coaching, video, coaching videos, helping other performers with, their, with the business side of the entertainment business. Oh man, I love that. And I'm glad that you're doing that. I, I definitely want to talk more about that because I think that's a fantastic strategy. Um, first of all, I wanted to find out or let have you let our audience know, like, how did you come into my world and how did that kind of solidify what you're doing now? I came into your world recently. It was with your second Profitable Musician Summit. And honestly, that was absolutely transformational for me. Mm -hmm. I had this idea that so much more was possible online. I had been running a brick and mortar voice studio. I had been traveling to do my singing and I was somewhat scared of social media and the online world. And attending your summit was absolutely eye-opening and breathtaking in the scope of what I realized was possible. It was a massive light bulb for me. That's so cool. I just love to hear this kind of thing because being in the online world all the time, I mean, I've been deep into this world, deep, deep, deep for five years and, you know, deep enough since I started Women of Substance since 2007. So like, I always think like, doesn't everybody know this stuff? Like, you know, I feel like, am I giving you guys stuff that's really interesting and eye-opening? And I love it when somebody like you comes along and I'm like, yes, like this is who this is for. 
because you have all the skills, but you didn't necessarily understand how to apply them in the online world. And now you do. Exactly. That is so awesome. So I want to find out, I know that you, um, you have this term, which I love because of course, this is the female entrepreneur musician show. And you talk about being a singerpreneur. And I know you are, now you're even expanding a little bit more to even other kinds of performers, but what, what does it mean to you to be a singerpreneur? To me, being a singerpreneur is being someone that understands that being a singer in 2020, in the internet age, means being an entrepreneur. It means understanding that we have to be creative, look outside the box, diversify our income, be creative, get online, leverage social media. It means that we see our business, that we, first of all, we understand that we're not just singers and we're not even singers first. We are really business people. We're running our own singing businesses. And it's not like some traditional business. It very much, it follows on the, on the pathway that the entrepreneurs have laid out for us. Awesome. So why do you think, and we, I know we talked about this a little bit, but why do you think that people, like especially musicians, look down on the idea of multiple income streams? Like I think they, 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 they think about it, they go, that's a cool idea. But then when they look at it in practice, they think that it somehow makes them less than if they have five different income streams. Like they, that means they just didn't succeed at any of them. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's what we were talking about before somewhat. I think it, that it's also a little multifaceted. So on the one hand, there is a, uh, what's the word for it? A sort of a judgment, uh, mm. a snobbishness around, oh, well, I, you know, that's not a real musician or I'm not a real musician if I am, if I'm doing these other things or if somebody else is doing those other things. And there's a lot of judgment and snobbishness around selling out and around um, marketing and advertising. But I think that a lot of that is just the surface and what's underneath is fear. It's fear mm. and ego. And it's a lack of understanding of what sales and marketing actually mean. So. I was listening to one of your other uh, episodes recently that talked about the person that gave you the hundred dollars after, after one of your gigs. Oh yes. Because they wanted to support you. Right. And so that, that understanding that by putting the donate button, for example, on your virtual live stream. You're actually giving your fans an opportunity to reciprocate, which they actually really would appreciate. Oh, totally. And I go even further and say, you're stealing that opportunity from them by not offering them that opportunity. Cause I see this all the time, like in churches, I work in churches and you know, if we have a concert and they're like, oh, we don't want to take an offering. We don't want to feel like we're taking a handout. This is a free concert. I'm like, look, if people love this concert, they want to be able to, to show their appreciation, give them the opportunity to do that because you're kind of stealing that experience from them 
because money, in my opinion, is just like an exchange of value. Like I got value from this concert. Now I want to impart that value upon you. And I, I completely agree. And yet as musicians, singers, and performers, we have sort of unfortunately built into our systems this deep level of imposter syndrome and perfectionism and they they go hand in hand so we want we're, we care so passionately about our art and it's our calling and our vocation and so we want to put everything we possibly can into it and we want it to be perfect because we can hear or see in our minds and you know inside ourselves what perfect would be but we can't actually achieve perfection because it literally is impossible it does not exist <laughs> and so we're we're constantly trying to achieve something impossible which then has the very sad effect of making us feel like imposters that we're not good enough because we're not achieving our you know amazing vision of inside our you know heads and so this this feeds into the the whole issue around monetization mm. and sales and marketing and diversification yeah absolutely and you know i mean i always say that like like if you do a really good job with your marketing which is really just telling a story and and you know just imparting a feeling then sales is like easy like you don't have to even think about it it just happens because they have a feeling based upon the marketing the storytelling all that stuff that you're doing and it doesn't need to be like oh my gosh now i need to ask for money <laughs> you know because yeah, they're exactly. already ready to hand but it this you. is a skill that's learned and it's not something that we're taught we're not taught mm -hmm. it in our you know, our master's or our bachelor's degrees, those of us who do that, that it's not taught there. And, and there's so much of a negative vibe around it within the community that we don't have mentors that teach us about it until now, like what you do, which is, I, I just feel so blessed to have come across the, you and, and your podcast and the Profitable Musician Summit, because again, it is so mind opening to understand that really you're coming from a place of service when you are offering opportunities to exchange value. Yes. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm so glad that this is actually coming across because obviously that's how I feel, but I always wonder, you know, are people really getting that from what I'm doing? So I'm glad to hear that. Um, so on that, on that line, like as far as the marketing that we do, let's talk about content marketing, because I know that this is something that you're using a lot, um, you know, with your YouTube channel and other things. And so talk about how you use that in your business and how are you using that like on the artist side and then also on like the business coach side? Okay. First of all, I am passionate about content marketing. I can't even begin to express how much I love doing it. <laughs> and I think that it's because I get to create. So I, I just, I was one of those people that thought business was boring. And now I can't even, <laughs> I can't even believe how wrong I was. So every time I create a piece of content, it's serving all of these multiple multifaceted purposes, right? So I create a YouTube video, let's say on, 
on financial freedom. That's one that I just made. Well, I'm giving you a wealth of information about how to become financially free. I am sharing in it ways that you can connect with me in other places, which leads you through my lead magnet or my funnel, which we could talk about. <laughs> but thirdly, I am creating. <laughs> I'm creating a video. I get to have lights and cameras and it serves that that desire inside me to perform like I do in theater. I actually love the putting on of the the outfit. Like I dress up for YouTube. Everybody doesn't. You know, there are plenty of totally cash people on YouTube, but part of my own brand for YouTube, not so much for Instagram, is I have I have my different outfits that I put on and I have my grandmother's jewelry that I love to wear and I do my hair and makeup and then I I sit by my piano and I do my whole, my whole spiel. And I just, I love creating that piece of content. And part of how I got into the content marketing, so that's the creating of massive amounts of content that's high value that you give away for free, is that one of my early mentors in this online space, this was what she did. And I got so much value from her free content and it built so much no like and trust that i i just thought gosh what would it be like to be one of her paid clients i want even more of this mm. because if she's giving this much away for free there's got to be a whole nother layer of stuff that she's not and that was in fact true and it's true for me as well so that is sort of the way that i think of the content marketing I love that. And that's absolutely true. I mean, if people are listening to this podcast, this is a piece of content marketing. And many people have found me through my podcast and decided I want to be part of your academy, you know? So that is what content marketing does. And I just wanted to point that out because they're, exactly why you love YouTube is why I'm, I don't love it because I don't love getting dressed up and makeup and fancy and all that stuff. Because to me, it's like a, it's a barrier. Whereas if I were to just get on the mic, like I am now, that's super easy for me, but everybody has their thing that they like, that they do well, that they feel inspired by. Mine just happens to be podcasting. Hers just happens to be YouTube. Maybe you love taking photos and your thing is Instagram. You know, there's all, I, like, I can't really get into Instagram stories for whatever reason, but because I'm not as much of a visual person, but some people just absolutely kill it with stories. So you have to figure out what it is that lights you up when it comes to content and don't try to force yourself into doing content that it just feels like a slog every time because then you won't do it, right? And also, you know, to piggyback on that, there are so many different platforms. Mm -hmm. So you get to figure out which platform is the one that resonates most with you and with your ideal students or your ideal fans. And it could be Twitter. It could just be short form, you know, sentences. And so much of it is on top of the content that you're creating is the engagement and the interactions that you're having with your audience. So figuring out where do they hang out? Which platform do they hang out at? And which platform do you love the most? And how can, you know, are they the same? <laughs> and if they're the same, then you're in great business. Yeah, totally. And like, how do you like to deliver content? So if you like, if you love to do live, like I'm a procrastinator by nature. So when I used to teach, sometimes I would just 
force myself to go live because then I would do it. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't turn back. I couldn't just go like, no, I'm not going to do it today. Like I've told people I'm showing up. So, you know, it's kind of like that, like, how does it work with your personality? And then, you know, one of my students, she does, likes to do improv. And so she's like, I love Instagram live because it disappears in 24 hours. So if what I do is just like crazy off the wall and weird, like it just disappears and I don't have to worry about it being living on the internet forever, but it was fun for the people that showed up. So, you know, think about what it is you're doing, how it fits with your personality and then how it fits with the platform that you're, you're using. So with that being said, let's, let's talk about YouTube because I know you've been using YouTube a lot and I want to know, first of all, how would you use it differently as an artist versus someone like you that's trying to, to get people interested in your, your business coaching? And can you do those at the same, like on the same channel? So I'm sure that there are plenty of people that would give you the advice to split it and not be on, to, to have two different channels and et cetera. But that's not what I'm doing. And it's not what I advise, particularly when you are starting. So for me, like, why would I manage two different YouTube channels? Like, how could I possibly just me with no team or, you know, a small team? It's, it, that's just too much. And I want to put my all into growing a channel and it's the same with Instagram. Not only that, I really, really wanted part of my model to be part of what I was modeling to people, that it was okay to be both, to be an artist and a coach, that you didn't have to separate yourself or be somehow schizophrenic in who you, who you are. I wanted to say, look, I am a singer and my singing is my calling but you know what? I'm also a teacher and a coach. And for a long time, I felt like, why was that part always feeling easier than, you know, making it as a singer? And I finally realized, well, they're actually both vocations. I, I have a vocation to do both. And life is long enough to, to do both either at the same time or at different times. And so one of the things that's so lovely is that there are people that come specifically for my coaching and there are people that come specifically for my music. And then there are people who discover the other part. So they came for my coaching, but they, I grow on them and maybe they didn't really like, you know, I'm singing kind of legit musical theater classics, especially right now. And maybe that was not their genre. Maybe they're far more contemporary than the kind of music I was sharing. But as they got to know it, like, and trust me as a coach, they were like, oh gosh, she's got such a pretty voice and there's so much passion. I'm, I'm kind of starting to like that Rodgers and Hammerstein. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's really, really good. Uh, we had somebody on, I think it was our first summit, that she built her YouTube channel by doing like how-to videos, helpful videos on song about songwriting. And then when she came out with her albums, like she had a huge following. And because she had been talking about songwriting, you know, they were listening to her, her songs and, you know, had followed her for that and wanted to hear what she actually came out with as an artist. And I thought that that was a really smart way to do it. Um, and you're right. A lot of people do give the advice to have separate channels. But I think nowadays, 
we're all such holistic artists, especially right now, since we're recording this in the, in the quarantine time of the, the coronavirus pandemic, like we really have to diversify. So why not show all the different parts of what you're doing as a musician? Because like you said, you, it's like the, the octopus effect that I talk about where you have different arms that are reaching out and pulling people in here. I am like moving my arms as if people could see me, but this is a podcast, um, <laughs> pulling people in from different places all into one place. And while they're there, they might discover, you know, some of those arms that they didn't know were there. Like, Oh, I, I like that. I like that side of this person. So I absolutely agree with that, the way you're doing it. And I know part of it was just because that's the way you look at the world and that's part of your brand to have all those pieces together. But I think it's actually really smart. Thank so you. I want to I ask you about, so like when you are doing videos about say financial freedom or anything like that, are you using like keyword research, SEO kind of stuff to, to decide what you're going to talk about? Well... Mostly no. <laughs> and it's not that I don't know that that is the way to get more, more views. So I, I do go in the back end. I do have TubeBuddy and vidIQ. So I know what the ideal search terms are for my different videos. I go in and I figure that out. And I do do a title that feels like it's more clickable and still relatable to what I'm talking about. And I put the keywords in the title and in my description. So I know all of that stuff, but there, what you're asking is the step before when you're planning what videos to make. Mm. And when I first started the channel, I didn't know much about that. And I just was like, I'm, I don't feel very confident and I want to make sure that I am covering things that I feel confident about. So at first it was like, well, what do I know the most about? I know the most about stage fright, overcoming performance anxiety, audition stuff, uh, how to, how to, you know, teaching stuff. Uh, and then I was starting to learn about social media. So it was like, what are common mistakes that people make when they start out on Instagram? Because I'm, I made all those mistakes. <laughs> so I was really just choosing the topics that felt the easiest to make a video about. And that served me because I, I had a commitment in the beginning to produce two videos a week. Was that right? Gosh, yeah. So I was, I was producing two videos every week as a brand new YouTuber and I did that for like five months. And it felt much more important to me to meet the commitment that I had made to myself mm. and to learn and grow in the how to do it than worry about whether I was choosing topics that people were searching. I knew that the topics I was choosing were, were things that my audience would be interested in, but not so much new people finding me. And I'm not saying that you should do that. I think that you should, in fact, do the research to figure out what people are searching, but I just couldn't in, at that stage. I will share that the one video where I had this sent, I, I was searching for something and I couldn't find any videos on it. It was a new app that I was, um, that had a, an interesting opportunity and a new uh, short form video app called Firework. And I, I was looking for information about it. I couldn't find any on YouTube and I thought, oh wow, 
people are looking for this, I should make a video. And mm. I did, I made a video on that and it is my highest performing video by like a hundred <laughs> times. Wow. And is that something for musicians or are you attracting all kinds of people with that? So that's the issue is that with the yeah. firework app video, and I've now made two of, I, I've published two because another thing you're supposed to do is notice the trends on your channel. So once a video starts taking off, you're supposed to create more videos on that topic or that serve that audience. So my second highest performing video is the second firework video <laughs> that I made. And I have one more coming because that's uh, answering a lot of questions that I get on the first firework app video. But that's the issue. No, the people that are finding me for that are people who want to make short, short form videos for the firework app or they want to learn about firework and that's like everyone all mm -hmm. all across so it's not it's not niche specific unless i wanted to become the firework expert and i don't so so i want to like kind of ride that wave a little bit because it feels fun to have you know a video that is doing well and have a few videos that are doing well and who knows what musicians might and performers may come my way from that but exactly that it doesn't really serve me to totally go on that path on the other hand though you can use that to build up your watch time because for me my problem is i have a thousand subscribers but i don't have enough watch time because i don't focus on youtube that I can't monetize my channel. Really? And so you can do that because of this random subject where people are coming and watching it a ton that's gonna pull up your watch time and you can totally monetize if you want to. You're absolutely right. And thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> I'm like thinking about it going, I need one of those videos cause I don't have enough watch time. But I mean, I'm not focusing on YouTube. So I know there's a reason I don't have enough watch time. If I focused on it, I would. Um, but yeah, we talked about this before we started recording. Like I just love podcasting more. And one of the reasons is, is because I felt hampered by the need to create things that people were searching for, you know, the yes. podcast episode, uh, you know, two weeks before this one is called what you can control right now. Now, nobody's searching for that, right? So no one would go into YouTube or Google or anything and be like, what can I control right now, right? But that was the message that I wanted to put out into the world because I know musicians are feeling totally out of control and, you know, gripped by fear and all that stuff. So there's this happy medium, which I think you're doing a pretty good job with of the things that people are searching for and using those in order to bring people into your world and then the things that you really want to talk about. Thank you. <laughs> and it's, it's a hard line, but um, that's, I really love kind of the strategy that you're using and I, th I think it really does make sense. Um, let's see, what else did I want? I had another question I wanted to ask you. Oh, I know you wanted to ask about monetizing on YouTube. Yeah, absolutely. And just kind of like, you know, a lot of the people that are listening to this show, they're musicians and they're putting music videos and lyric videos and stuff like that on YouTube. If you were that, would you 
maybe start making videos on something that you have an interest in if it was whether it's songwriting or vocals or anything to try to get some different people onto your channel because i feel like with youtube and you're just posting like music videos or lyric videos no one's going to find you that way that's a place you can send your fans to watch your stuff but no one's going to be searching for those things yeah, I mean, this is definitely an interesting thing. And I had a client who I would often recommend. I was like, what else can you share on YouTube to really, it's not even just to draw in new people. It's also about creating a deeper connection with your fans. So she was producing her own originals and covers on a weekly basis. And I was saying, share a little bit about your process. Mm. share what it's like to write a song. I mean, she was such a great songwriter. Share, uh, you know, at the end of your song, tell them what it meant to you when you were writing it. It's just things like that create a deeper touch point. And then, yes, I mean, I love, even if they, if they want to keep it as a primarily, they don't want to start coaching, let's say, but they have an idea about sharing something about their process, um, about how inspiration comes to them, about how they developed a, a certain melody or a certain way of playing their instrument. I think those things are fascinating. And I think that people who are already fans just go crazy for it. And then on top of that, yes, it can attract new people to your music, which is great. But another strategy is to do covers of what is trending. And mm -hmm. I know that that's like, oh, you know, that trending, be, being trendy is so anti-artist. But I just, I just don't agree. I think that if you, let's say you're producing music videos once, uh, once a week, then out of the four, you could do one, one of your favorite covers, two of your originals, and then one of a trending cover and you put your own spin on it, and that will then draw in a lot more people. So in my genre, for example, my two highest performing covers, so all of my music is covers. So my two highest performing covers, one is Sunrise Sunset and Go Figure. I, it's just a great It's not trending, song. but yeah. <laughs> the, the other one is, and I guess there just weren't that many good covers of it, and mm. people do search it a lot. The other one is, was a song from Frozen 2. Oh. And, and it was because I, and it would be doing way, way better if I had put it out earlier, closer to when the movie came out. Mm. I was still like a month or two late in putting it out. But it was very meaningful to me. It was All Is Found. And it was the song that the mother sings to her kids in bed. And my son loved it. It was his favorite mm. song. Oh, that's awesome. And, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because this is very similar to the whole thing about not wanting to diversify their income streams. Same thing with cover songs, right? Like yep. I'm not a real artist if I'm doing cover songs. I'm somehow yes. like sullying my artistic reputation by doing cover songs. Uh, it's just that, you know, that makes me so mad. And I guess part of it is because I come from the classic world, right? The classical world where it, it's all it's all <laughs> we're yeah. singing we're singing the music of composers for you're not gonna write your own now. opera yeah <laughs> 
And then of course, musical theater, and we just don't all have the opportunity to be in and, you know, a new, have a new musical created for us. So right. <laughs> we, and, and this music, I, I just love it so much and the genres that I sing. And for me, it's an opportunity to tell the story in my words, in, in the way that, that I would share that story. And so if you're a musician and you're covering, you know, a more contemporary pop song or country song, rock song, you still, no matter what, are putting your own take on it. And don't you have favorite contemporary artists who have done covers of their favorite contemporary artists? And weren't you like incredibly moved by it? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean... When, when an artist that I love does a song that I also love that wasn't by them, that is my absolute favorite thing. Yes. Right? Yeah. So I'm, yeah, I'm, get over it, you guys. Cover <laughs> songs are awesome. I used to do this um, series on women of substance when we were an online radio station called We've Got It Covered. And it was all <laughs> like unique versions of covers. And I would separate them out by like, you know, standards and like 50s and 60s, 70s, 80s. And I'm amazing cover versions of like some of my favorite songs from the 80s, like totally reimagined, you know? And I, I just love the idea of that. I love that too. And then another point about the covers is that YouTube is all about consistency. So ideally you are actually producing one music video every week and that's a lot of new songs to write <laughs> mm, yeah yeah totally i agree well i've got i think one more question i want to ask you and and related to the current time period we're in so as i said we're like still in the quarantine period of the coronavirus and what do you think how do you think the landscape has changed for musicians um, from your vantage point, and do you think that this is going to encourage musicians to finally jump into the multiple income stream pool? I, I see people doing it. I think absolutely. I do too. I was just curious from your side if you were seeing it too. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. I mean, I, I just brick and mortar voice teachers, for example, moving on to Zoom, they're really yeah. missing that in-person connection. And I'm glad you mentioned that because we did an episode on that a few episodes ago with Tiffany Van Boxtel, exactly that, because I was getting all these emails like, oh, all my income is gone because I have a local studio. I'm like, no, this is what you need to do. So I had a whole episode about how she transitioned everybody over. And I, I actually listened to that episode as well. And I loved, I want to just like reiterate one of her points, which was charging in advance mm. monthly. If you're a coach, please just do that for yourself. Because again, going back to full circle, what we were talking about, it raises the level of commitment in the student. So if they have paid for that month of lessons in advance, they are far less likely to flake out on their lesson, which is good for them. Yeah, that accountability is so important. Um, you know, that's why I started having the academy be a year commitment because I didn't want people to like come in and be like, you know, not feel that pressure to actually use it and then leave. Exactly. And they don't get the value that they really wanted. Otherwise they wouldn't have joined. Exactly. So some, some of the teachers who were 
very happy the way that it was in their studios have had a harder time transitioning but many many more are seeing this as an opportunity to actually expand their their possibilities it, it so much expands what you can offer and to who which is actually one of the things that i am helping my clients with is understanding that now teaching online, you can attract people that are in other states, cities, and countries because they found you online through this inner internet thing. <laughs> and, and now you're connected and now you can actually work one-on-one -on -one with them or in groups with them in this whole new way. So I think that in terms of teaching and coaching, it's only awesome. And then it's gotten far more musicians comfortable with the idea of live streaming, which I also think raises just so many more opportunities. I have a YouTube video on that coming out either next week or the following week, not about the, so it's about, so I already have a video on going live, but there's one coming out on the on other ways that you can use going live to expand your network so not just doing performances but doing a lot of other i'll, I'll give you a couple examples like like showing some of your warm-up like showing behind the scenes kind mm. of like what i was saying about showing your process like i was saying about singers and musicians on youtube just bringing your fans into your whole process of creating music, you can be doing that live too. And it, there's just so, so much opportunity is what I'm seeing. Yeah, oh, me too. And I think it, they're being more open to it mostly out of necessity, which I mean, hey, if, if that's what it takes, like, I'm glad. But you know, if, if it takes a global pandemic for them to realize that it's okay to, you know, build your home studio, which is so cheap to do, and then start doing some like session work from home. And, you know, just to, to really make your income much more stable. I mean, when I was performing and touring, I didn't just do that. I was also doing demos from home and I was also, you know, doing writing songs for people and getting paid for it, you know, doing different things. Cause I, you know, some months I had a lot more gigs than others. Like it's so important to have these stabilizing effects in your income. Exactly. Awesome. Well, I would love for you to tell them a little bit about, I know you've got a new group and a challenge that you're running and just kind of all the cool things that you're starting up in your world. Absolutely. So right now I have just started a new Facebook community called The Profitable Performer, and I'm going to be running a free challenge in there um, in mid-May. So just come on over and the challenge will all be about growing invisibility on especially Instagram. So about leveraging your Instagram bio and your content and understanding how to use Instagram in a way that actually will help you monetize 
My specialty is in the three M's of mindset, marketing, and monetization. And that is what I am so passionate about helping my fellow performers achieve. We absolutely need to understand how to up-level our mindsets and our marketing in order to increase our monetization. So mm. you can find me on Instagram, in the Facebook group, on YouTube, and I welcome you to join my community. Okay, so they just look up the profitable performer on Facebook. Is that the easiest way to yes. find it? Yes, okay, so on Instagram and YouTube, Fiona Flight. And on Facebook to join the community, it's The Profitable Performer. And probably if you, it, it's actually listed as The Profitable Performer with Fiona Flight. So you may even find it just using my name. I'm not sure. Totally. And by the way, Flight is F-L-Y-T-E. If you're listening, you want, I want to make sure you know how to find that. Um, and I love that you're focusing, number one, I love that you're focusing on Instagram because that like a lot of people are on Instagram, but they have no idea how to monetize that. Like they just, they're on there because they know people are on there and that they need to be on there, but they don't exactly know why they're on there. <laughs> this is what right. I hear a lot from musicians. Yeah. I mean, I, that's one of my passions is how to leverage Instagram to actually, again, monetize and grow your following and your fan base. And as you talk about, we only need that 1000 true fans. And so Instagram is another place to attract those fans. And I do see musicians having challenges, understanding how to utilize the platform in a way that will actually help them monetize and grow. So that's definitely something we cover. Yeah, and I also love that the three Ms are your thing because that is absolutely my thing as well. I mean, with this, this show, basically I attract people with the ideas of marketing and monetization and you know they come for what they want and then I give them what they need which is oftentimes mindset so you know that's why I throw in a lot of these mindset episodes especially lately because I have found as I have you know grown in my own business that those are the things that will really hold us back like you can learn about this tactic and this tactic and you know they're helpful but if you've got fear or anxiety or stress or overwhelm or any of those things that are holding you back, you will not execute on no matter how many marketing podcasts you listen to, you won't execute. So I'm glad that you, you're focusing on the mindset side as well. 150% agreed. And I only know it from very sad personal experience. <laughs> yep, totally. I get that. All right. So thank you so much. This has been Amazing. Like I went into this thinking we were going to talk about YouTube, but I felt like we talked about YouTube plus a whole bunch of other really, really valuable things around that and around income streams, which obviously is a big thing for me, especially lately because I just created our new income guide, which is 15 income streams that you can basically tap into right now during this time period. And so if you would like to, you know, learn more about Fiona and check out her YouTube channel. Look up Fiona Flight. Is that the name that your YouTube channel is under? It is. Cool. So go check that out, you guys. Thank you so much, Fiona. This has been an amazing, amazing conversation. Thank you, Bree. Thank you so much for having me on. Now go out and make great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business. Female Entrepreneur Musician has been brought to you by femusician.com 
and femalemusicianacademy.com and music by Stella Ronson.